This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, we talk to Alex McDonald of NetApp and SNEA fame about standards and technology trends in the storage industry. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi, Glenn Sizemore, and Sully the Monster. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi, and Glenn and Andrew have abandoned me this week. Um, Glenn is working hard on something, and Andrew is flying into Boulder to go talk to Solid Fire guys. But as a consolation prize, and a very good consolation prize indeed, I have invited Mr. Alex McDonald in to talk to us about a variety of things, including uh, SNEA. So, Alex, say hello. Good morning, Justin. How are you? Good. How are you, how are you doing? I'm okay, a bit jet-lagged, but I'll survive. Why are you jet-lagged? I live in the UK. Uh, oh, okay. I come here to visit you specially. Just for me. Just for you. That's right. Um, I didn't pay for his plane ticket. He came out here all by himself. <laughs> He's a big boy. He put on his big boy pants. All right, so Alex is a member of an organization called SNEA. So if you could tell us a little bit about what SNEA is. You know, first, I guess, spell out the abbreviation and then just tell us what they do. So I'm actually a, a, a poacher term gamekeeper. Um, for the first part of my career with NetApp, I was working in the competitive team where we did competitive analysis. And obviously that means looking at what effects the competition has on NetApp and uh, making sure that we didn't lag behind, that we led with the right messaging. And all of a sudden, I'm working in an organization, still working for NetApp, but working in an organization, SNEA, the Storage Networking Industry Association, where we cooperatively work with people like EMC and Dell and IBM, and HP and a variety of others in providing uh, industry-neutral education, also providing people with standards. So it's a standards body as well as a, an educational body. And basically making sure that uh, we do this industry-neutral stuff and that a rising tide floats all boats, I think, is the commonly accepted parlance. So I've gone from being a poacher with my long gun to being a gamekeeper. Mm, so essentially uh, keep your friends close, keep your enemies closer? Is, this, is that kind of thing? I think it's cooperation that we're talking about. Cooperation. Cooperation. I think that was a phrase Div Hits used some years ago. That's cooperative competition. You know, it is, it is competitive working in an organization like SNEA when we're putting out messaging about various technical topics. But it's very cooperative in the sense that we've all got a vested interest in making sure that customers, partners, and the industry in general get the right messages. So SNEA handles the standards. So tell us a little bit about why standards are so important within the storage industry. Without standards, you and I wouldn't be here. It's as simple as that. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like... Metaphysically speaking? or no, like physically speaking. Oh. These lights came on when you flicked the switch. True. I mean, we've got voltages that work here. Okay, they're different in the UK. We tend to double up. We like electrocuting people. <laughs> you do, you do. But, but basically, standards are all around us, and I think to think that we don't have or shouldn't have or maybe it's not important to have standards in the storage industry is, 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 a, is a big mistake. We really do need standards. But standards are the way that we... If you like, communicate with each other and make sure that customers and end users have the option to switch and change and modify. What we do in terms of our own secret sauce behind those standards is, is, is very much our business. So standards tell you, if you like, not how to do things, but what needs to be done. They tell you what things look like, 
but it doesn't tell you how to make them look like that. Yeah, I, I always look at standards as predictability, right? So if I'm a customer and I want to use a storage system, whatever storage system flavor I want to use, I expect them all to operate the same at some base level. So whether it's NFS or SIFS, I want it to do the same things regardless of who I'm plugging into. There's going to be you know little things here or there that are nice to toggle on and off, but there's a base standard that you have to adhere to to be considered a true you know, provider of that storage system, right? Absolutely. I mean, the, the whole point about having a standard is not to... And, and a lot of people think it's all about slowing down innovation, that, that standards slow down innovation. They don't. They actually enable innovation. Without standards, you've got no base on which to work. You can't move off your own private world, your own private platform, your own private issues. And, and take advantage of some of the really good work that's been done out there by other people. I mean, it's, it, you know, it's a base on which we can all operate. And personally, if I'm a customer and I'm running a multi-million dollar business, I would rather you innovate on your own <laughs> while I have the standards to make sure my business operates at a normal, working, predictable manner. I mean, one of the things we're going to talk about in a bit, you know, I suspect, is going to be uh, non-volatile memory. Yeah, and and that's an area where without standardization, we are really, really goosed. Okay. It, you you really need standards in this area. It's not possible to to do to, to you know deliver working valuable systems that don't have some form of standardization when it comes to non-volatile. Okay, we'll talk about non-volatile in a little bit. So let's um let's touch on the messaging piece. So you mentioned that SNEA also handles the messaging, and and what I take from that and what I've seen from SNEA is basically some of the definitions of things like you know if you have a term out there such as cloud right you have to define it and that's a standard definition i mean because there's there needs to be standards in our definitions and our wording because you don't want to say cloud and have one person think one thing and then another person think another thing so is how, how does SNEA handle that? How do they define these things? And what sort of messaging are you trying to drive these days? So the, the, the idea that we're trying to standardize on terms is important. And I'll, I'll give an example of that later when it comes to uh, NVM in particular, which we're beginning to call persistent memory because of confusions in the marketplace. But the, the, the whole point of SNEA is to provide, if you like, a set of common definitions. That's one part of it. So we've got the SNEA dictionary where we define all these terms, define what they mean, define how they might be used. And then the second part of it is educational. In fact, this is the bulk of it. A lot of what SNEA does, apart from develop standards and technical work groups, uh, there are forums and initiatives. And I, I'm actually active in three of them. So there's a cloud initiative and I'm the chair of that, and we provide education on cloud-related subjects. There's the Ethernet Storage Forum, and the co-chair on that, and the Ethernet Storage Forum provides education about Ethernet-based storage technologies. And then another one I'm involved in is the Solid State Storage Initiative, Triple um, SI or SSSI, which provides education, white papers, and various other bits of uh, material to do with solid-state storage. So there's a there's a wide variety of educational material that SNEA does. It runs conferences uh, annually on, on, on the Storage Developers Conference. But that's not the primary goal of it. The primary goal of SNEA is to provide the industry with a place where it can meet, talk about terms, agree them, and then start educating the marketplace. Uh, and I think we're doing a pretty good job. And we, we recently did a webcast where we had... Uh, 1,500 people registered to watch a webcast. When was the last time you spoke to 1,500 people in person at a conference? 
Never. No. And we're doing these things once every week. There's a, there is a sneer webcast on some subject once a week. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's, so there's a lot of work going on in terms of, of, of educational material. Excellent. So you're telling me that you, you need uh, more to do. You don't have a, you, you know, you're not very busy is what you're saying. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Covering three major technologies and also your, your NetApp day job. Um, so if someone wanted to get into SNEA, if they wanted to be a part of SNEA, is there a, a, a path to doing that? Is it something where you have to be invited or is it something where you can like, you know, pay a fee and get in? I mean, how would you get involved with that? So from a, from a, there are several ways of getting in, but the easiest way is obviously to pay a fee. We, we, we can't do our work without spending some money. We're actually registered, I believe, in the U.S. I'm not very good with the legal and financial aspects of this, but I think we're registered in the U.S. as a charity. A fi- is it a 501? 501C or something? Yeah, yeah, something like that. And basically, there's a joining fee, which gives you basic SNEA membership. And it, the, the, the level of that varies on basically the size of the company. Or there's, there's an individual membership as well. And then you can pay to join various of the groups, like the Cloud Initiative, like the Ethernet Storage Forum, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but the technical work groups are free to join. Uh, and what we're looking for from people, though, is that it's a volunteer effort. Nobody gets paid for this. It's very much a volunteer effort. But if you are in a company that is a member of SNEA, you can participate because your company's already paid a membership fee for that. Uh, and, in fact, on the SNEA website, SNEA.org, you'll find a list of all the member companies. And I think there's over 30 uh, member companies in that, all the, all, all the names you'd expect to see in the storage industry, and some that you might not expect to see as well, like, uh, for instance, memory manufacturers. Huh. Because that's a, that's a big area nowadays, yeah. of course, in terms of storage is persistent memory. So you've touched on memory a few times, so we might as well just open that can of worms there. Um, so you, you talked about non-volatile memory. You talked about MVM, uh, which are pretty much the same terms, and in, in SNEA's role in kind of standardizing that terminology. So let's talk about what SNEA defines as non-volatile memory and then go into a little bit about where you see that going. So one of the really uninteresting things about working in an organization like SNEA, because it's a it's co-petition. There's quite a lot of committee work. And one of the longer and rather more boring discussions we had was, how do we go about making sure people understand what non-volatile memory is? The problem we've got right now is that people talk about NVM and then attempted to add the E. Now, NVMe is actually an implementation of one form of non-volatile memory. We've also got people talking about storage class memory, which is not terribly well defined. You know, is that memory? Was it a storage or is it sort of a mixture of the two? How classy is it? <laughs> exactly. You know, which class is it? And, and, and you know, do, do we have the corresponding memory class storage? Who knows? So what we've done is we've, we've had a long discussion about this and we've agreed amongst ourselves that the best way to describe it is as persistent memory, PM. Let's take away all the other attributes that it might have. Does it look like storage? Not necessarily. Is it non-volatile? Probably. It's persistent memory. You know, let's just get get to the chair. We don't we don't have any form of uh, of confusion when it comes to persistent memory that we've had for a little while now with non-volatile. Uh, an NVM in particular because of that temptation to add the E and storage class memory, which is not 
terribly well defined and quite a difficult term to use because it, it it has implications if you think about it. Let's think about persistent memory in terms of what we mean by memory. Memory we tend to associate as being byte addressable. We can do loads and stores on it. And in fact, that is one of the characteristics of persistent memory, that we can do loads and stores on it. But when we talk about storage, we tend to think of blocks and doing IOs and buffering. Uh, and those things, uh, when you talk about storage class memory, are only part of the story. So there's this huge sea change taking place in the, in the industry as we move away from storage-like architectures to memory-like architectures with this, this new form of memory, you know, this persistent memory. Currently what we've done is we've taken all the persistent memory that we have in the form of flash, for instance, and there are various other technologies out there uh, coming out like MRAM and Memristor and various other bits and pieces, 3D Crosspoint. And we're taking those and we're building disk drives out of them. So that's our first approach to non-volatile memory or persistent memory is to build disk drives, block-based devices. But we're beginning to move away from that, and we're now going to see uh, non-volatile DIMMs, NVDIMMs, used as not storage, but as memory. In other words, be load store addressable. And that's a, that's a big change. In fact, one of the groups that we've got working on this, and people might be interested, there's a non-volatile memory programming group, not yet renamed to persistent memory programming group, perhaps it should be. But non-volatile memory is, it is, a, is a big difference in terms of the architectures that you can put over the top of it. It's not just simple standard you know, block-based access. So what's driving this change? I mean, there's, there's always something that makes us want to go there. Um, is it cloud or is it something else? Like what's driving us there? What's driving us there is the gap between dynamic RAM, DRAM, which is incredibly fast, and storage, which is incredibly slow. There's about a factor of a million between the two in terms of latency, roughly. I mean, let's not argue too much about how many knots there are, but there are a significant number. And that really gives us a problem in that we can... There's a, there's a friend of mine who always says that all programming is an exercise in caching. And really what we've got to the point of is that all programming is an exercise in caching, but the problem we have with storage is the cache is a very, very, very slow one. And Flash has provided us a way of, of, of bridging that gap. It's a thousand times slower, roughly, let's not argue about the knots, than DRAM, but it's a thousand times faster than, than, than our current storage uh, in terms of spinning disk. So a flash is a real big push. But once you put flash down onto a disk-type format and put all the overheads in there and buffering and you know, a software stack that's quite large, you can get rid of that. You can actually talk to the persistent memory as memory. I mean, this stuff is you know, addressable. And that actually brings you real benefits in that instead of doing a huge, big I.O. stack, you can do a simple load or a store of the data directly. I mean, that's a big win. So... I was at a persistent memory summit that uh, the SSSI ran uh, last week in Sunnyvale. I'm sorry, not Sunnyvale, in San Jose. And one of the presenters there was talking about performance improvements between flash as SSD to non-volatile DIMMs, NVDIMM, as disk. So putting a disk drive inter that interface to it. And then non-volatile DIMMs as memory. And this performance improvement between flashes SSD to non-volatile DIM as disk 
is about a factor of 10. You can get 10 times the I.O., 10 times the throughput, and a tenth of the latency. When you add in non-volatile DIMM as memory and you get rid of the stack, we're talking about another factor of eight. So 80 times faster than flash disks. I mean, that's, that's, that's a real performance breakthrough. That's worth having. I mean, in flash is already pretty fast as it is, right? Yep. I mean, you yep. know, we're talking sub-millisecond latencies in some cases, so that's... We're like, talking nanosecond technologies here. We're talking in, almost instantaneous, yeah. right? Well, <laughs> unfortunately, it's never good enough, is it? It's, well... We've still got the laws of physics to cope with. Well, yeah, there is. I mean, there's, there's no instant unless you're, like, right there, right? And even then, there's no instant. Have you seen Spaceballs? No, what's Spaceballs? Have you never seen Spaceballs? Never seen Spaceballs. <gasps> so Spaceballs, are you familiar with the work of Mel Brooks? Oh, yes. Good grief. Who doesn't? <laughs> so Blazing Saddles, that sort yeah. of thing. So Spaceballs was his uh, Star Wars parody. And actually, I saw Spaceballs before I ever saw Star Wars. Okay. And that's how I know the backstory of Star Wars is from Spaceballs, right? So they actually did a good job of kind of filling in the gaps there. And then from then, I went saw Star Wars and all that stuff. But anyway, it's a parody. It's got John Candy and a couple other you know, famous Joan Rivers. Mm-hmm. Um, very funny. But anyway, there's a whole segment where they talk about, you know, now, you know, and when you say by the time you say now, you, you're no longer in now. Mm-hmm. It's already passed. Yep. It's, it's, it's very funny. They have like a whole videotape of them do it, saying this bit. It's very meta. I recommend <laughs> it. Um, anyway, I digress. I shall fish it out of YouTube. You should totally fish it out. Um, they're actually coming out with a sequel sometime, if I understand. Spaceballs 2. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Yes. Anyway, uh, so as you said, there is no you know, instantaneous access. There's always something that's going to be there to interfere with us and our, our happiness with, uh, with our performance. But that's pretty darn close. It, it, it is close. I mean, we're, we're talking about throughputs at the, you know, right now, today, at four uh, gigabytes a second. That's like today with it. With today, NVM. that's bandwidth today with oh, NVDIM as memory. Persistent memory. Yeah, persistent memory. It, 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 we're going to go through this confusion of non-volatile and persistent. It's near attempting perhaps to uh, do a King Canute on this one and hold back the tide. Yeah. You know, uh, I don't know whether we'll win with PM, but 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 but, but certainly it's, it's worth the effort. So what's the E? What's the E for? Uh, let's not go there. Let's not go there. <laughs> Is it ether? Is that what they're huffing while they're coming up with these? Uh, the N- NVMe... It has a variety of implementations, and, and it's, it's the implementation of non-volatile memory. So NVMe you can do over fabrics, and there's, there's various um, uh, implementations of that. And I, I really, I, I'm not too involved in that. I really don't think that's anything more than a stopgap while we move from this period that we have at the moment where we've got persistent memory in SSD form and DRAM, and that's all we've got, and perhaps with a bit of flash buffering in the middle, something that NetApp would uh, you know, early innovators with uh, in terms of PAM cards, if anyone remembers PAM, that was an attempt at caching. Yep. So this is an interim step for me. Uh, you know, anything that says non-volatile memory over fabric says big software stack. And what we're looking at are models over the next five, ten years, and as, as somebody points out, technical innovation tends to be two Olympic cycles, in other words, eight years, roughly, four between each, that we're facing uh, probably in the next five to six years, you're going to see this stuff really come mainstream. 
where memory is almost like a smooth gradation between level one cache, level two cache, level three cache, out through DRAM, through f persistent memories, through storage devices. You know, there's this smooth progression. And in fact, for the first time ever, I'm going to put my hand up here, slightly contentious. I think we're looking at disk going the same way as tape. I don't think we'll be talking very much about disk in 10 years' time. So we'll keep saying disk is dead, but it's actually not dead. It's I not think the anywhere. I.O. subsystem <laughs> might be dead. Yeah. I think we're going to see a lot of change in the I.O. subsystem because load store technologies don't require what we've been accustomed to doing, which is you know, blocks of data, moving buffers around. That kind of stuff will go. You'll just address the memory directly. Think of in-memory databases. I mean, what are we doing there? We're actually addressing records and rows directly. We're not actually letting the I.O. subsystem get in the way at all. Yeah, I mean, with the whole MVM and persistent memory, putting it into disk format, what it sounds like is happening is we're taking what we know and trying to put the, the square peg into the round hole until, you know, hope it's kind of, you, know, you said a stopgap, hope it kind of keeps us it, it's warm a, until we can figure out how to better implement it. It's a pretty effective stopgap. And, 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 and one of the things I think that we've got to recognize is because... For various technical reasons, the programming model needs to change. You know, moving from an I.O.-based way of looking at mass data or volume data to a load-store way of looking at data is quite a big change. And that is going to take some programming effort. Uh, and we're going to try, we're trying to simplify it as much as possible to make it possible to implement flash persistent memory in these kind of today's systems, the best way of doing it was SSDs. You know, there, there, there's, there's no doubt about it. That was a really, really good interim step. But it's not the end game. That, that's not what it's at. You know, 10 years' time, SSDs will be beginning to look like very fast disk drives are today. They're going to be a bit of a, become a bit rarer than they once were. All right. So what, what about other technology trends that you're seeing? Like, what sort of other things are coming about that maybe people aren't talking that much about that you see you know, becoming pervasive within the storage industry? Well, one thing that's really become pervasive is discussion about cloud. 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 You mean uh, someone else's computer? <laughs> <laughs> no, is that not what that is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Somebody else's computer. I think with, you know, five years ago, talking about cloud felt innovative. It felt new. It felt like you were on the, you know, right in the leading edge. Not now. Cloud, cloud today is just, it's a take and it's a given. You know, people, people really don't get too exercised about it. They should do in certain respects. I mean, we, I think, as a, a collectively have a big privacy and data security issue that we're not really being very adult about at the moment. Um, I, I think that's going to come back and bite us and bite us pretty hard, actually, in the future. And when you say us, you mean the industry as a, as a whole, not No, I think us, people. I well, think yeah. everybody. Yeah. It's not just not, the industry. Not just NetApp. I just want no, to no, make that very not, clear. No, not, 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 not <laughs> just NetApp. We're not the only ones. Yeah, no. No, we're not the only people out here. Um, so, you know, so cloud is very much a given these days. And how you consume it is, is more the discussion point rather than what it is. Um, it is. Plus, the other thing we're beginning to see in cloud as well is a recognition that um, the Internet of Things, that, that, that latest buzzword, is actually not so much a step change as simply an incremental change. I think that's one thing that I've learned over the last couple of years, that IoT 
has some new technologies involved in it, um, particularly things like, for instance, 5G in terms of you know uh, on, on on the on the networking side. But that from a storage perspective, it's it's there's, there's nothing really hugely innovative there at the moment. Yeah, I mean the, the inevitable next step is Skynet, right? I mean. <laughs> yeah, in fact, that reminds me of a really good uh, thing I saw on, on, on Twitter recently. Somebody tweeted out that uh, they were working in the AI field, and that what they weren't worried about was artificial, you know, artificial intelligence programming, uh, uh, passing the uh, Turing test. What they were really worried about was an artificial intelligence programming um, actually failing it deliberately. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. I'm. Yeah. I think there's a, there's been some movies that were where it's kind of doing that. I think it's obviously not spaceballs. No, which it's not spaceballs. Left, left, this left is a more deep and meaningful impression. No, this is a more serious movie. Um, it's actually a, it's a movie similar to that where a guy's built some AI, mm-hmm. and the AI becomes sentient, of course, because that's what happens in these movies. And they actually purposely fail the Turing test to make him think that they're still not there yet. Yeah. But they're secretly plotting to kill him and take off and leave. Ex Machina. Oh, ex ex machina, yeah, 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 yeah. <coughs> so, I think the 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 Internet of Things is an incremental change at the moment. I don't, I don't think we've seen very much uh, in in terms of. There are lots of innovative ideas out there about IoT, but I've not yet to see lots of innovative new technologies. So that's that's not the case. We're still mixing up the three things that we've always had, you know, uh, uh, network. Uh, storage and, and some form of compute, which actually brings me on to an interesting subject. Yeah, which is about the convergence of all three. What would that be called? Um, it was a subject I wasn't going to get onto, but I'm going to mention it once. Just once. Just once. Okay. Do I need to bleep it? <laughs> bleep. Hyperconverged. <laughs> Hyperconverged. All right. HCI. HCI. Yep. Um, Again, that to me feels like a bit of a stopgap. You know, again at this conference, I was at this persistent memory summit. By the way, the the uh, uh, presentations are all online from SNEA.org of the persistent memory summit. If anyone's interested, but there was also discussion there about uh, moving compute closer to memory. And one of the big problems you've got, of course, is if you're talking about uh, nanosecond latencies, and we're talking, you know, the sort of tens to hundreds of nanoseconds with with persistent memory, with non-volatile memory. When you get down that low, as Grace Hopper used to point out when she used to pass out her 11 inches of copper wire, that's one nanosecond. So to get a 100 nanosecond response latency, you're talking about it being less than 50 nanoseconds away, a lot less than 50 nanoseconds, which is about 50 feet, a bit less than 50 feet. So getting the compute next to the memory is going to be really important for this. Um, and and we're, we're going to see a lot more of that, you know, with chunks of memory with a lot of compute on it, being able to do interesting stuff like, and I'll give you an example here. If you think of Hadoop and the way Hadoop works, mm-hmm. you're doing MapReduce. Basically, MapReduce, where you're actually going out there and giving each piece of memory a task. You know, find me all the red, red sorry, find me all the records with the, with the words red in them. Uh, and, and return those back, and you're actually giving the the storage some intelligence to be able to do that kind of thing. But we're going to need that. The compute needs to be next to the memory. Uh, otherwise, we're just going to run into the problem of we're going to have this super fast memory and not enough compute next door to it. So the so the issue of compute being next to memory is actually a physical, like scientific physics. 
aspect, right? Like the actual light speed and, and yeah. Unfortunately, sometime around the Big Bang, all these little constants were were, were turned into constants. The first sneer. The first sneer. Yeah. Somebody sat there with their uh, book of definitions and said, "Well, there you go. Light is two hundred ninety-seven thousand kilometers a second, and that's the way it's always going to be." And, and that's a problem that we're beginning to face. Physics is really getting in the way of this. Um, can you fix that? Nope. Fix those physics for us? The only way you can fix that kind of physics is doing stuff in parallel. And parallelizing stuff is actually quite difficult to do. We're not very good at it as human beings. We're going to have to find new mechanisms for parallelizing things. No storage wormholes? No, afraid no. not. <laughs> the, I bet the only way of getting answers faster, of course, is to send yourself out very, very close to light speed. Uh, leave the compute running in the background here on Earth, and when you come back, you'll not have aged, but your compute will be finished. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, we could actually just implement guessing into the storage, right? We just guess what you want. No, that's want it. that's actually got a name. It's called quantum computing. Oh, there you go. <laughs> All right. So, do we have anything else that you want to talk about with uh, storage uh, technology trends, or just trends in general that you want to just touch on? Um, I, th I think one of the other trends that I'm beginning to see is that people are buying less storage. It's, it's, a, it's interesting. In terms of number of bytes, the growth seems to have gone out of it. We don't seem to be uh, anticipating huge volumes of growth. Um, in terms of what we're buying anyway right now, the last couple of years have been pretty pretty slow in terms of growth, in terms of number of bytes shipped. Well, part, part of the reason is cloud, right? I mean, because people want to go and put that elsewhere. But also, we're kind of at fault because we've developed technologies like deduplication and storage efficiency so that I don't have to buy as much now because I can just start putting things on storage and it takes away those duplicate blocks and I'm, I, don't, I have all this extra storage I don't know what to do with. That, that's absolutely true. In fact, one of the really, really cool things over the last few years, uh, where few can be measured in decades, by the way, so, you know, hey, I'm an old guy. Shoot me. <laughs> Later. <laughs> okay. Uh, is the fact that we've gone away from really, really low storage efficiencies. I mean, I, I, you know, when I first started in this game, 20% usage, 25% usage was pushing the boat out. People had an awful lot of spinning empty. Uh, and I think we're seeing a lot less of that than we used to. And that's good. That's actually a, a really positive thing. Well, well, I think it's important to note is that you know, storage companies like NetApp have noticed this trend earlier and, you know, have shifted their thinking from being a storage company to being a software company because that's where where the value is, right? Yep. The value is no longer in the disk. Yep. It's the value is in the software, how we can make your storage more efficient, and how we can deploy it in multiple places. So we've developed things like ONTAP Cloud. We've developed things like ONTAP Select to be able to do it on, you know, separate servers and more to come in the future, of course, right? So, I mean, I think that we're on track there. So one of the, one of the key, I guess, um, strategies we have is the data fabric. So what are your thoughts on how we're implementing the data fabric and where do you think it needs to go to be a complete implementation? Uh, I, I think one of the things that, that's going to be really important come the future is what we do about data we've already collected. Uh, but one of the things that I, is going to be increasingly needed is ease of data movement. We need to be able to move it between technologies much more easily than we, than we currently do. So the, I better explain that. W once I write a piece of data to a given location, Maintaining it and reading it back is not a problem, but moving it about, you know, data has mass. 
and it's, it's not easy to move this stuff about. And I think Data Fabric gives us an opportunity to reduce the effects of that mass, to make data easier to move and data easier to, if you like, move between various platforms, between various technologies. It's the same data. It just happens to be somewhere else. Uh, and I think that's an important thing as we move forward. The old idea that you put something, for instance, you know, when I was a lad when we started out, you put stuff on tape. And every so often you recopied that tape to another tape, but it was exactly the same type of tape. And the only reason you copied it was... Because the other tape was going to die. Yeah, bit rot. <laughs> I mean, you know, the bits truly did drop off. Yeah, you could see the rust. Some of the magnets yeah. passed over it. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The creases in it. So yeah. that kind of thing it, it has, has, has made us, you know, conscious of the fact that we need to refresh our data. But that's the wrong kind of refresh. That's moving from tape to tape. Uh, nowadays, we need to be moving it from cloud to cloud, for instance. Uh, we need to be, you know, moving it from inside our organization to outside and back in again. But we really don't want to make that particularly difficult. Uh, and, and, and things like um, Data Fabric really help in, in, in solving that particular problem of where is my data to which the answer should be, who cares? I just know it's there. And it's got the right kind of profile in terms of its latency and, and, and its cost in, uh, as well. Yeah, and some of that's being addressed already. I mean, so you look at Flux Group, like we have large buckets for storage and you don't know where the data is. You don't care because yep. you know it's there. Um, we've announced things like SnapMirror to AltaVault. And we at Insight, we announced that we're going to be doing SnapMirror to SolidFire, so I can talk about that. Um, and then also we've talked about FabricPool, so being able to automatically tier your data off to cloud and bring it back when you need it. Um, so those are some of the things that we're doing that we can talk about, and there's things that are coming in the future that we probably can't talk about. Um, but, yeah, I mean... I. When you were talking about this, I kind of had a thought in my head about what you could call being able to move easily between clouds. Data viscosity. Ooh. Ooh. Marketing term. <laughs> That's the tech marketer in me coming out. Oh, goodness. Oh, well, get back in your box. <laughs> <laughs> Quiet, you. Yeah, I think the, I think the, the, um, the, the other thing about the, 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 the whole process of pooling data, making it viscous. I like that. I, actually, I quite like that. It idea. is good. It is. I you like you don't have idea. to like it yeah. because I said it, but yeah. because it's good. It, it, the, the, the big thing I think a lot of people have trouble with is policy management. I think that's yeah. one area where you know, developing policy is one thing and then executing on them is quite another. Uh, and, and that, I think, is where we can bring a lot of the data management capabilities. Yeah, the data management capabilities are going to be are, are really important. Policy management is, it is, is, I think, one of the areas that most people are interested in at the moment. Yep. Without realizing it, actually. You know, a lot of customers I talk to are really talking about how do I buy storage that fits my policy. It's not a case of buying storage that fits my data needs. Yeah, absolutely. And, and really, it's, it goes back to some of the discussions we've had before on the podcast where we're trying to no longer sell to the storage admin but to the application owners, the yep. people who own the data, who create the data. Now, the storage admins, they manage the storage, and they still do that very well, but they, they no longer have, they're no longer the key stakeholders in, in, some, in some cases because it's all very much at the, the top-level stacks, right, the, the software stacks, the layer, the layer sevens. Yeah, I, th I think that's one thing that's really important as well is that as we move towards application-centric view of the world, uh, the People's understanding of storage decreases, in particular the mechanics of how it works and how it's managed, and et cetera, et cetera. And that's really good. I mean, there's a level at which you need to demystify storage, but there's also a level that you need to talk about it as sort of generic black box, to be quite frank. 
Uh, and I think we're moving more and more towards that. It's, it's not that I don't like mystery and, you know, a little bit of the old magic uh, from a technology perspective, but it is nice to be able to go and talk to people without really getting too much into the nitty-gritty. Well, you know, they just don't care anymore. They want, <laughs> how yeah, can you exactly. solve my problem, not yeah. how does it spin, yeah. right? And, yeah. and you know, how fast does it spin? And even our conversation here today, I mentioned the speed of light once. That's probably once too many. You know, are people really interested? No. Well, they've got a, is a set of policies. I need to run these kind of applications and deliver this kind of performance. And really, that's yeah. the kind of thing we should be doing. It has to be this fast. Can yeah. you do that? Yeah. It has to do this much throughput. Can you do that? And yeah. that's really what the questions and the answers we need to yeah. have. All right. Anything else you got for us today? No, but I'd just like to say that uh, I'm privileged to be here. Thank you very much. No, for thank you. Me. Absolutely. Uh, we've been waiting to get you on here. Um, so if people, you mentioned Twitter, if people want to get in touch with you on Twitter, how would they find you? Handles Alex Tangent, but don't expect a, a lot from me except uh, lots of sc- screaming about Scottish politics. But <laughs> a lot of Scottish <laughs> politics. If you're ever interested in learning how the Scottish <laughs> parliamentary process works, yeah, Alex is your man. So there, there are a couple of ways. Or doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, broke. So there's a Oh, don't start me. So there's a, <laughs> there's a couple of websites I'd like to point you at. One is uh, sneer.org. I think that's a really uh, important website in terms of the kind of educational material that you'll find out there. Uh, that's really useful um, for people whose interest is perhaps not in storage but would like to know more. You know, the, the, the day, day job, their focus is not storage, but I'd like to know more about these, these topics. There's huge amount of information on sneer.org. And the second one is, I think, a really underutilized resource. That's netapp.com. I know that sounds a bit sort of... Ooh, it's very pluggy oh, there. Sounds pluggy. But netapp.com is good. I mean, there's stuff out there. There's, there's, you know, we, there's a community out there as well, yeah. of which this is part. Yeah. And I think that's a, a, an important area for people to look at too, news. In addition to SNE, I mean, there's also a Bright Talk where you can actually sign up for the notifications and have an account to join these SNEA talks. Yeah, brighttalk.com has a SNEA channel. Yeah. Uh, uh, and you'll find hundreds, literally hundreds of presentations there. Recorded and coming up. Yeah. So. Yeah. On, on a variety of topics. Yeah. Are they are they downloadable? I don't remember if you... I know uh, they're not downloadable. That's too bad. It'd be good to have, yeah. like, on flights and stuff where you could kind of catch up on your listening. But, um, yeah, I mean, I've... I've joined a few of them they they turned out pretty well and again they're they're not they're storage agnostic they're vendor agnostic um that's the rule right i mean you yeah, can't go yeah. in there plug in your product no nope. you got to come in there and talking about technology yeah or oh, the use of technology uh, and and and, and it, i think one of the really good things about the educational stuff that we're doing is that we, we finally realized that um there's that series of books dummies books i find the titles a bit off-putting, you know, X for dummies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do I want to be called a dummy? Self-deprecation. I yeah. mean, it's, it's a very American thing. Yeah, storage for dummies. And just, anyway, so what we have done, though, is we've done a sort of series of 101s. Um, and I think our education material is getting much more focused on, instead of trying to talk to ourselves, which is sometimes what we do, the storage industry has a tendency to talk to itself. The, st- the echo chamber of the yeah, storage industry. exactly. Yeah. So, We've started realizing that there's a real value in promoting this entry level, this 101 level stuff. And and the nice thing about doing it in this podcast way and, and, and doing it on Bright Talk is that you can educate people without them feeling like they're being stupid. You know, it, it's an opportunity for people just to brush up, to try and understand some of the terms and technologies that we use. 
uh, and I think I think we're doing a pretty good job of it. So the BreakTalk.com channel, and there's uh, sorry, BreakTalk.com, and there's a, a Sneer channel you can subscribe to. All right, Alex, thanks a lot. Um, so Alex Tangent on Twitter, uh, and uh, what is your official title here anyway? I don't. Ah, uh, God, God. <laughs> <laughs> Thou shalt not smite the yeah handsome. I'll take handsome, handsome. as well. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> no, I, I actually uh, the the group I work for inside NetApp is called the uh, is SIAG. Yeah. SIAG. It sounds SIAG. like a standards and disorder. industry associations group. Sounds like a disorder. I've got yeah, the yeah. SIAG. SIAG. So SIAG standards industry associations group. Basically, we deal with all the standards bodies okay. and industry association, the trade bodies. They're, they're like SNEA, IETF. Fiber channels, with, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, in your in your directory entry, it says Office of the CTO. Yeah, that just happens to be um, the, the, the landing spot. The landing spot for okay. it. Yeah, the, the, for the all the HR document yeah. stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Well, Alex, thanks again. Yeah, anytime you want to come back on and talk about pretty much anything you want, feel free to let us know. You can do it remotely from the UK if you like. We have that technology. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> it was nice to be here in person. All right. Thank you. All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netup.com or send us a tweet at netup. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher or via techontechpodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tech podcast team, which today was just me, uh, I'd like to thank Alex McDonald for joining us. And as always, thanks for listening. Man, empty in here. Oh, yeah. Glenn's not here. Andrew's not here. I did the solo thing, and that's okay. Because I'm good enough and smart enough, but nobody really likes me. Is it just me that's getting off on this? Oh, yeah. I can't do any more monologues. I'm done.